It's that time of year again when I get to tell you about the Banner of Truth. The objective of the Banner of Truth is the promotion, advancement, and dissemination of better knowledge and understanding of the history and the doctrines of the true biblical Christian faith. We seek to inform, encourage, strengthen, and equip ordinary Christians and have a particular concern for ministers and pastors and those training for the ministry. We believe in biblical Christianity, and if we have to be labeled, we would be thought of as a reformed, Calvinistic, conservative, evangelical publisher. We seek to focus in our activities on the major and fundamental truths of biblical Christianity rather than on those truths which may be regarded as secondary, although not unimportant, such as church polity. We trace our theological heritage from the apostles through the early church to the Reformation to the Puritans such as John Owen, Richard Sibbs, and Thomas Brooks, and the 18th century heritage of George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, and then on to the likes of Spurgeon, Ryle, Alexander, and Hodge in the 19th century, and Warfield, Murray, Hendrickson, and Lloyd-Jones of the 20th century. We publish books that were written from the time of the Reformation right through modern day. And through the whole month of September, you can use the code SHEPHERDSCROOK at checkout and get 10% off. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hey guys, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. It is episode 156, I believe. And today we're starting a new series on the doctrines of grace. So we're going to talk about the sinfulness of mankind today. Now, pastors, I know you've been thinking through this, and you've probably been in a place of being settled on this position on the doctrine of soteriology for a long time. But for those that may be on the fence or those that you have in your life that really can't even have this discussion because it's so emotionally charged and such a difficult conversation to have, and you've come to embrace the doctrines of grace, or maybe you're just even on that line of thinking through it, and it's not yet solidified in your mind, I really want to just help you think through this. And I want you to see how biblical this is, and I want you to see how amazing this is. For those who have seen the glory of God's grace, you know what I'm talking about. There's just something amazing about what God has done for us in salvation. What God has done to break through the sinfulness of mankind to save sinners is just an amazing and beautiful thing. So that's what we're going to talk about, and maybe this can be a tool to help pass around to your people in the church or to help you as you're kind of solidifying thinking through this stuff as well. So let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll get into it. Father, we just need wisdom and direction. We always do. God, as we think about the sinfulness of mankind, as we get into the heart of how a sinner can be saved and justified before a holy God, God, help us to think clearly and biblically. We want to honor you in this. And Lord, uh, we just trust that you're going to lead us along the way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, I hope you're doing well. We're doing well over here. I missed yesterday morning again. So this is the second week in a row of being live on Tuesday instead of on Monday. And the reason was because the night before, we got hardly no sleep. We had one of those nights where your kids wake up. And as soon as one goes back to sleep, the other one wakes up. And it was one of the most difficult nights. It was just one of those nights. And so I slept in a little bit instead of, I think I was up from like, we, Jordan and I were up from like two to four or something. So I slept till six or something like that. And I slept in a little bit and I'm back this morning. Glad to be here and glad to start this new series. I'm excited about it. Also, I wanted to remind you again, you've got a couple days left to jump on that Banner of Truth discount. Would love for you to do that and use that discount, Shepherd's Crook. And hopefully this has been 
you know, a good month for Banner of Truth. Hopefully they see some of those coupon codes coming through and people buying some books. So you still have time to get that 10% discount and get some good books. All right, we're gonna talk about the sinfulness of mankind today. All right, first, we gotta think about what the Bible teaches about the nature of man. And we go to the beginning in the garden and we see that God created everything good. And that's a very important point. He created the world and called it good. He created the animals and called it good. The cosmos, everything in it was good. He created mankind, first creating Adam, and then giving Adam the covenant of works and the covenant of life. We see that in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the, gar of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Adam gets this covenant of works and life, and he takes that, and when Eve is created, he hands that down to Eve. And then in the very next chapter, we find out what mankind did with the benevolent gift that God had given him. Mankind, instead of obeying God, instead of walking with him in the garden, what they did is sinned against God, and Adam gets the blame for that. Now, it's really interesting, because in chapter 3, we find out that Adam and Eve take the fruit, and they eat, and they do the very thing God commanded them not to do, even though they had everything that was given to them. Adam and Eve sinned, and this is the fall. And then we see the consequences of the fall because God gave judgment to the serpent, God gave judgment to the woman, and then God gave judgment to Adam. Now in Romans chapter 5, we find out that Adam was our covenant head, that we also were in that garden that day. He was representative of all mankind. And so within that garden, within that choice to sin rather than honor and obey God, we find that everyone who has ever existed has also made that same choice. We have sinned against a holy God. We aren't born into a post-fall existence in a morally neutral state, meaning we all would have done exactly what Adam did. There is a sinful bent within mankind turned away from honoring and obeying God and into doing what we want and following the ways of even the devil himself. Okay, so th this is a very important point. We all have made our decision. In the garden, Adam and Eve made a willful decision, a real decision to sin against God. That was their choice. And because that was Adam's choice, that was also your choice and my choice. We come into existence within this world bent on choosing things that dishonor God and not honoring God and following God and obeying God. We are sinful from birth. There is a bondage to being a human being. In fact, as we move through these Bible verses, we're going to move from Genesis all the way to John, but we're going to see that even the people of God who had the promises of God, the Jewish people, they, they were given the law of God, they were born of the quote-unquote right families. Jesus begins to talk with them in John 8, and this is a powerful passage. Chapter 8 of, of John is amazing, where Jesus picks a fight with a group of people who we're told believed in him. This is the difference between true and false belief or true and false faith throughout the book of John. But in John 8, we get these words. It's amazing that Jesus tells this group of religious leaders. We'll start in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. It's funny that they forgot about Egypt. They forgot about Babylon for some reason. But back to the text. How is it that you say you will become free? This is what troubled them, is that Jesus said, you will be set free. And then they respond back, how can you say that? How can you say that we will become free? We are free already. That's their starting point. They're religious people. They're the Jews. So we're obviously free, man. Like we've got, we've got the free will. We're free. We can do what we want. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen by my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. He goes on to call them sons of the devil, saying that the devil is their father. So this is crucial. Jesus is saying that you are, by default, even the Jewish religious leaders, you are in bondage and in slavery, and you will not be free unless the Son sets you free. You cannot be free. You are in bondage. And this is such an important teaching in the Bible that mankind is in trouble. We are in the bonds of slavery. We, have, we are shackled down. We are in the pit. And we are there and can't do anything about it. We cannot set ourselves free. We must be set free. And for all, this, all the discussion that goes around about free will. And, and real quick, just to clear up some confusion about that. Everybody, every single Christian believes that, and Reformed folks included, all Reformed folks believe that people make volitional choices, real choices that matter. That's not what, re- what the discussion is in the matter of free will. When we talk about free will towards salvation, and this is, I mean, there's whole denominations built on this, the free will Baptists, and there's, I mean, there's, there's free will folks everywhere that believe that we can freely choose God. The point is not that mankind can't make real decisions. The point is that people are in bondage and they need to be set free. They're not inherently free from the time of birth. There is no such thing as a free will unless God sets us free. Our will is in bondage. Our whole person is in bondage. That's the whole point of human sinfulness. The sinfulness of mankind means that we are in bondage to sin, Satan, and even death. That's a huge problem. The only way to be free is if the Son sets you free. You're in bondage until that point. Romans chapter 8 verse 8 says this, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. That's an unregenerate state. That's walking in the flesh. Even after you're a Christian, if you're living in a fleshly manner, you you cannot please God in that manner of living. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is not a free person. They are not free because they cannot please God. They don't have the ability within them to please God. They can't do that. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 really highlights this because we're kind of working through this. You can see we're working through the text in a sequential manner. We're heading over to Ephesians 2. So let's go ahead and look at that real quick. You guys know Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But I really want to set this up, and then we're going to look at a couple points of opposition to this teaching here in just a second. But in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, here's what we hear. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Friends, this is so clear. Those who are not Christians are dead in their trespasses and sins. They're not on life support. They're dead. They can't do anything. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're following the prince of the power of the air. And they're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's pretty clear. Children of wrath. They're following Satan. They're not following God. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. That's a terrible place to be. Now, there's a couple things that come up in people's minds when we're talking about this doctrine, okay? When we're talking about total depravity, number one, we're not talking about utter depravity where people are as sinful as they possibly could be. God's common grace rests upon all of mankind, both the righteous and the unrighteous, to hold us back from what we could be. God is gracious in that. But a couple of the oppositions that come up are this. Number one, that the law shows us human ability. Two, we have the example of Cornelius. Number one, the law shows us human ability. You guys have heard this before, and you may maybe even have made this argument before. Well, God wouldn't command us to do things that we don't have the ability to do. How mean would that be of God? God wouldn't tell us, hey, do this if we don't have the ability to do this. I mean, haven't you heard that argument? I've heard so many people say that before. And here's the deal. In saying that argument, you're missing the whole point. That argument misses the whole point of the law of God. Romans 3 tells us that the law of God, as it reveals God's holiness, 
It exposes the sinfulness of mankind, not mankind's goodness or mankind's ability. The law of God is not this window into human potential. It shows us human sinfulness. That's what Romans chapter 3 tells us so clearly. That's why the law does. It entraps everyone. It shuts everyone's mouth, both Jew and Gentile. It shuts our mouth and it shows us that we're sinners. That's what the law of God does. It points us to Jesus. It helps us to cry out, we need a savior. You know, through the whole Old Testament, here's what we see. The law of God is given. People are told to obey God's law. They say they're going to obey. And what ends up happening? They sin against a holy God time and time again. They break their vows. They break their commitments. Yeah, we're going to obey. And then what happens? They disobey and they sin. That's what happens. That's what Romans chapter 3 tells us is going to happen. And again, gives us a window into this. And when people say, well, God wouldn't tell us to do something we can't do, you can just go to Romans chapter 3 and tell them this. What then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jew and Greek are under sin. And it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. I mean, doesn't that settle it right there? I mean, this is a quote from the Old Testament. This isn't like, you know, this is some made-up stuff in the New Testament. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So, does anybody seek God? No. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This is the point. The law of God is there and it's for everyone, everyone who's ever existed. This isn't just for the Jews. The law of God is binding on every non-believer. And what God's law doesn't do is show human potential for good. It doesn't show us what we have the ability to do. It shuts us up. It says to the world, here's what God commands. And the world needs to shut up and say, yes, we have sinned against God. Because it says the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is really clear. It's clear cut. Guys, we are totally depraved. We have sinned against a holy God. We are sinners who are trapped. We're not even seeking to get out of it. But people say, well, wait a minute, what about Cornelius? I've heard Greg Laurie say this when talking about total depravity and saying, well, people aren't really that sinful. You have this example of Cornelius. So let's go to Cornelius real quick and let's look at this. And let's look at chapter 10 and chapter 11 of Acts. And here's what it says. And this is why people say, well, Cornelius is an example. People aren't really totally depraved. You can't actually do good on your own. Here's what it says. At Caesarea, there was a, na a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say, Cornelius? And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Hard stop. People say, Look, Cornelius. Cornelius is not yet born again. He is a Gentile, and yet it's like Cornelius got God's attention with his prayers. Now, when we look at Acts chapter 11, and we hear Peter give the report of what happened among the Gentiles, which includes Cornelius and his household, I want you to consider these words in chapter 11, verse 15 through 18. Because here's the conclusion of what happened with Cornelius. It wasn't, oh my goodness, Cornelius was an amazing guy. Listen to this. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it had on us at the beginning. Now, this is speaking of what happened in the rest of chapter 10. 
And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Okay, guys, listen to this. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They didn't say, then the Gentiles aren't as bad or not, they weren't as sinful as everybody else. Their conclusion was, if this happened, it was because God granted repentance that leads to life. Because without God doing something, without God granting something, without God giving something, without God breaking in, without God giving life, what happened to Cornelius could not have happened. The conclusion was, anything that was happening in Cornelius in chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, was because God was already at work. God was granting repentance that leads to life. And apart from that, we walk in spiritual death. Apart from that, we walk in bondage. There's a conclusion here. This all leads to conclusion. Mankind is spiritually dead. We cannot please God. We do not seek God. And we do evil continually. And the law of God shuts our mouths and shuts us up when anybody would try to talk back. Now, we could be worse, but God has been gracious to not let us be as sinful as we possibly could be. And I tell you what, this is not a perspective that some people have. This, this is the clear biblical teaching that we should all embrace. This isn't my perspective, your perspective, something like that. This is what every Christian should believe. This isn't a we can agree to disagree kind of thing. This isn't a perspective. This is what the Bible teaches. If any of mankind is to be saved out of our own sinful state, it's going to have to be the work of God and not the work of man. Spiritually dead people can't save. Cornelius couldn't save himself. Paul couldn't save himself. The Jews couldn't save themselves. Law cannot save. We need God to do something for us because we are in a terrible, terrible spot. Okay, guys, hope that's been helpful as we work through the doctrines of grace. If you enjoyed this, please leave a rating and review or even uh, leave a comment. Reach out to me. We'd love to talk. And guys, I hope you have a great rest of your week.